Welcome to 27 Speaks, a weekly podcast with the staff of the Express News Group who share their insights into the latest stories making news on the East End of Long Island. 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. Senate to make this the law of the land. And this is what it says. No person in the United States shall on the basis of sex be excluded from participation in, be denied the benefits of, or be subjected to discrimination under any education program or activity receiving federal financial assistance. Again, in honor of this anniversary, we unveiled a portrait which will hang in the halls. It's about our first, the first She's actually the first woman of color to serve in the Congress, so she's honored for her first, but also for what she accomplished. And we are recording. So that's Nancy Pelosi speaking from Washington, D.C., where they have unveiled a portrait of Patsy Takamoto Mink. And Patsy was the first woman of color to serve in Congress. She was elected in 1964, and she helped to craft Title IX legislation, and that's what we're talking about in a way, but there's lots of other things that we have to talk about today. So with that, welcome Bill Sutton. Hi, Annette. I'm Bill Sutton. I'm the managing editor of the Express News Group. And I'm Annette Hinkle, and I'm the arts and living editor of the Express News Group. And also with us today is Kaylin Riley, one of our writers at the Express News Group. And Kaylin just did a a big, big piece on the 50th anniversary of Title IX. And um, we are recording this on a very monumental day, aren't we, Kaylin? Oh, we sure are. It is really, um, I don't even really know. I'm a writer, so I'm supposed to like have access to the words at all times, but I don't because we're literally recording a podcast about one of the most monumental pieces of legislation to advance equal rights for women on the same day that another extremely monumental piece of, uh, of law that has been the law of the land for many years has just been struck down. Of course, that's Roe versus Wade. So it's very bizarre to be speaking about all this on the day that that has happened, but very interesting timing. Yeah, it's like 1972 all over again. Mm. And and so speaking of Title IX, I thought it would be interesting to just share my experience growing up in Ohio. So, you know, I think Title IX came, became law, what, 72? 72. Right. So I was like in elementary school at that point, and I was very interested in playing baseball and sports. And I lived in a neighborhood where we didn't get enrolled in anything. We just played in the backyard with the boys, you know, and the girls. And I played baseball with the boys, but there was no little league team for girls. So there are boys who I was far better than, right? and they were going to play Little League. And I remember riding my bike to watch them and we'd buy our little grape shoestring licorice and watch the boys, but I was never allowed to play. And as a result, by the time I got to be in seventh or eighth grade, I did not think that I was athletic and I never played any organized sports because it just didn't feel, although, oh no, I take that back when I was a um, junior, senior in high school, we had during homecoming, the powder puff girls game and like the junior girls would play the senior girls. So I was the quarterback. Cause I loved football, but that was it. That was the end. Oh no. I played ultimate Frisbee in, in college for a little while. 
right. until I realized I had to pay my own way to whatever games we were playing out of the area and I couldn't afford that. So mm. basically that was the end of my athletic career. Um, so Kaylin, in your story, one of the things I found interesting is that you talked to a woman who is about my age and sort of felt that being wedged between the, the passing of Title IX and the actual implementation of it. So I wondered if that might be a place that we start this conversation. Yeah, I thought in reporting for this story, um, well, first of all, I enjoyed it so much because I just love sports and basically anything that in, involves, you know, women's rights and equality and sports is just like those are two of my favorite things so it was great speaking with them i know a lot of these women personally and it was interesting because it did seem like when you look at this 50-year span of title nine it does really break into these chunks where you have the early years of when it first went into effect and then what julie mullen referred to as the she felt like she was part of what she called a gap generation where Title IX had been in effect for a couple of years. So she played um, she played field hockey at Southampton High School and then also played at Fairleigh Dickinson University, went on to coach there. And she graduated to- from high school like in 83 or so? Yes. Yeah. So, you know, even when she was playing field hockey at Fairleigh Dickinson, she recalled like, you know, she's there, she's playing, she's on a team, which is a result of, you know, that's Title IX in, in action. But the boys teams in at their college when they would when they would have to go play in a tournament you know they'd send them down like the night before and put them up in a hotel and then she was speaking about how when it was time for them to go it would be a bus trip the day of the game and a bus trip right back like they weren't really affording them that same kind of luxury of being able to you know stay in a hotel and have that whole you know same things having. Yeah. are those kinds of things law now like do boys and if boys teams are traveling x amount of miles and get to stay in hotels do girls teams also are they required to be able to be put up in that same way yeah i mean basically the compliance with title nine has always been a matter of not just telling people this is you have to comply but really enforcing it as well and that's gotten better as time has gone on and, and make, making sure that whatever is available to the boys and the boys team is also available to the girls and the girls team. And I think you cited like, exactly. like batting, you know, batting cages, that type of thing. Mm. I think in your story. Right. But, there, but there was interesting things like you were pointing out, like with the girls teams, like one of the, one of the um, people that you interviewed said how the girls would just get a single Jersey to play all of their sports for the season. They yeah. didn't have separate uniforms for separate sports, whereas the yeah. boys were for. So that kind of thing, like you have to really be like ready to to like make a stink in order to get them to do anything about that. Right. I'm thinking. But but let's let's back up a little bit, and and I, I if if we, if we can, I <clears throat> I think you know to talk about why Title IX was was needed in, in the first place. And I, and I think in, in one of the articles and, and Kaylin wrote a great package of articles or multiple articles um, in, in the sports section, um, you know, in, in all of our editions, but you, you spoke to, to Chris Holden, mm-hmm. um, who later became what a couch, a, a field hockey coach at Southampton. Is that she coached at Southampton for many, many years. Right. But she talked, she talked about her first year as a physical education mm-hmm. teacher um, in near near Albany, mm-hmm. um, where there was a girls' basketball team, and they were having a home game, right. 
And um, at halftime in, in that game, the school's principal came up to her and said that spectators were lining up outside for the boys game, which was going to be played after the girls game, mm -hmm. and that the girls just had to stop just so those spectators could come inside and get their seats ready for for the boys game, which was obviously so much more important. And um, you, you use that to, as a lead to your story. And I, and I think it just it, it's just so striking that, you know, that 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 stuff was was going on that that the girl athletes, you know, and the girls teams just just did not matter at all. I right. mean, you know, in favor, of, not even just that the boys team had to come on and play that that the spectators for the boys right. team wanted to come and sit in the gym and yeah. couldn't because the girls were playing at the time. And even her response to that initially, you know, he said to her and this he was the principal and also happened to coach the boys team and she was a first year teacher so she really had no power and he was holding all the power and she was like well great send them in like we would love to have people sit in the stands and watch our girls play and he just said to her no we can't do that like as if it would have been right. an affront or an embarrassment to expect people to have to like suffer through watching girls you can, play you can almost hear his snicker right yeah <laughs> i also thought it was great how you had a, you had um, you had talked to somebody who said that after they played their games they were expected to kind of socialize and like almost like have tea with the opposing team oh, right. like it was more of like a a deportment totally. and manners class totally right like if you're a woman you should never care so much about winning that you would have like you know, those kind of feelings that are part of being competitive, like, listen, you want to be a good sport, of course, but like, when you're in a competition with another team, like, you're not there to like, be friends, you know, right. but the idea is that, of course, if you're a woman, this is how you're supposed to behave. And you're not supposed to, you know, it's almost like, even the idea of like, everything they wanted women to do in sports was antithetical to what being an athlete is so mm. they wanted you know even with basketball they would have six on six and it would be two players would stay on one side of the court and two players on the other side and then two players were rovers where you could only dribble the ball three times it was almost like they didn't because 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 women couldn't handle running up and down right or, or or also yeah. like it would have been you know unseemly if women were like you know sweating or i don't know it was just kind of hysterical i think like the old days where you weren't supposed to leave the house if you had your time of the month right, uh, right. you know totally or once you were pregnant you couldn't be seen in public absolutely or, oh, yeah or even yeah. how they would schedule these games you know the boys games were always in the evenings so that people could mm -hmm. be off of work and make it to the games the girls games would be scheduled you know in the late afternoon and of course a lot of people's parents couldn't go to the games even if they wanted to but that's how they always kind of set it up and prioritized it yeah fascinating about that whole idea of like it went into effect in 1972 but so when julie bullen like she saw both sides mm -hmm. of it. So when she got into college, did she find that it was a little bit more equal or were things improving? Like, I wonder, you know, or did she not see any of that until she started coaching? Well, I mean, you know, by then they were having, you know, the NCAA had finally come around to hosting championships for women's teams as well. Um, but it, but like I said, with the hotel, like, so yes, they had the opportunity to be on a team 
and to have these championships, which was more than someone like Chris Holden ever had. But at the same time, there were still all these inequities. It was almost kind of like, all right, well, we'll let you have your team and we'll host a championship for you. But like, don't expect the same level of like experience and service that the boys teams have. And that is still true today, honestly, like the big fight now is, you know, people, a lot of these like sports networks will try to, you know, get out of hosting or broadcasting like a women's professional league or a women's college game. And their argument will sort of be like, well, we're just not going to, not as many people want to watch it. So that's, it's not that we don't, we don't want to be equal. It's just that the people are telling us they don't want to watch it. And at a certain point, you know, Julie had mentioned something in the story she, she said those words that are very famous from the movie Field of Dreams, if anyone's seen that movie, if you build it, they will come. Like the arguing, oh, well, no one wants to see it isn't really a great argument because right. it, well, you're not putting Even it. Even if there. nobody's seen it, you know, to know. Right, exactly. But I also, wasn't there a situation too, like with the Olympics where they had weight training rooms for men and women, but they were really unequal. And this mm-hmm. was only what, two years ago or something yeah. where they had two different, gym that even happened that still happens everywhere there was a couple pretty recently there was um at center reach high school there was a coach who 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 who, you know had to i think bring a lawsuit against the school because their locker room facilities were were just subpar for the girls um as compared to the boys so these things kind of happen a lot and you know you have to be on top of these things as an athletic director, as Kathy Masterson, who's the, who is move, she's been the athletic director at West Hampton for a long time, and she's going to be starting at East Hampton in the fall. You know, she told me even something simple, which Bill alluded to before, if, because I was asking her, like, what's it like now with Title IX and compliance, because we've come such a long way, like, is this something you have to really still think about? And she said, you know, if someone donates a batting cage to the baseball team, yes, you either have to make sure that the softball team can use it as well, or if it's, or if whatever it is that they donated can't be, you know, used or retrofitted or whatever for the softball team, then you have to find funding to go buy one for the softball team as well. Even like with the turf fields, you know, almost all the schools out here have these um, artificial turf fields and the game, lots of the different games are, are, it's much better to play on those fields. They always want to play field hockey, soccer, lacrosse on these fields because it's just a better playing surface. But she has to sit down in the beginning of the year with all the coaches and make sure every team is getting its equal amount of time on that field. Local support comes from the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. In these trying times, working full-time for their clients and the public interest, providing strong advocacy and attentive counsel, be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com 27 Speaks, brought to you by Sag Harbor Books and Southampton Books, independent bookstores located in the villages at 7 Main Street in Sag Harbor and 16 Hampton Road in Southampton, carrying a wide selection of new books, stationery, toys, games, first editions, and rare books. Their entire inventory is browsable on the website, SouthamptonSagHarborBooks.com. Now hiring booksellers at both locations. Do you think it's different? Do you think it's better now? 
at least at, at the high school level or different at the high school level than than the college level and i haven't been to college in a, in a pretty long time but you know i i when i i went to syracuse in in the in the late 90s and look let's face it the you know the 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 men's football team and basketball team especially yeah. at syracuse brought in millions and millions yes. of dollars in, in television revenue. Uh -huh. um, and, and I think from what I remember, I mean, I think they, they made a really good effort to try to get some of that money to the women's teams. And, and there was certainly a lot of women athletes at, at Syracuse and there were some really good women's teams there, but certainly they didn't bring in the same revenue as the men's teams. And, and right. I wonder if, if, you know, if that's that's probably still at play at the college level, but at the high school, you're not dealing with that. So maybe it's a little yeah. easier to, to come into compliance. What do you think? It is definitely less. There's just there's less to deal with at the high school level because you you aren't dealing with any kind of like profit or revenue kind of situation right. in that way. But I know like with college, especially and as we know, anytime there's some sort of effort to give women something or to make their lives less um, bad, right. there's often backlash. And so that happened um, for sure with Title IX when it came to college, especially because a lot of ways that these schools were complying with, with Title IX was because it's there's, there's a lot of different ways you can comply, but one of the big ones is proportionality. So like, for instance, if 52% of your student body population or your, or your athlete population is female, um, then you have to spend 52% of your budget on those teams. So obviously it's a problem with those revenue producing, especially schools that have football, football and basketball, they would have a really difficult time with that. And a lot of the time their way around it was that they would cut certain non-revenue producing men's teams. So for instance, a lot of colleges would cut their um, wrestling programs or their swimming programs. And it created this big backlash because people were upset that those programs were getting cut. And so then they sort of were blaming Title IX and blaming, you know, oh, all these yeah. damn women that want to have all this. Oh, your fault. Right. And really, no one was really, and as Julie pointed out, it's really on the school administration to to figure out how to do this equally and the problem is they never want to take away expenditures from those revenue producing teams because right. they want to recruit though they want to be the school that can recruit the best kids to those teams because they make money for the school but in the high in high school yes it's it's different and it has come such a long way i mean the west hampton girls lacrosse team is a kind of perfect example of that recently you know this this last just earlier in june they they made it to the state semifinals they had a series of like thrilling overtime victories they won the suffolk county and long island championship and they were the toast of the town like they tons of kids from the school were following them going you know i i don't think that the attention would have been any less for them you know, if it had been the boys team in, right. in their place. And I felt that as well in high school when we made, we would go to, we went, went to state several years for field hockey, all our classmates, especially the boys, they would come, they were, you know, they were in, in Syracuse. That's where we played in Liverpool. 
I'm sure you know yeah. the area well, Bill. It was freezing cold. It was snowing. And a bunch of boys in our class had, were out there. They had painted. Um, luckily, the word Pearson and the word whalers is the same amount of letters. So <laughs> there was a P on the front of one very bare uh, teenage boy's chest. And then the W was on his back. And they spelled out Pearson whalers on their bare chests in like 30 degree weather cheering for us spectator buses full of our parents came um shout out to Vinny Mazio who was like doing a complete tailgate situation in the parking lot as if it was like the Super Bowl you know and that was in the 90s and we had that yeah. degree of attention and it was incredible you know it was it is I'm like in my 40s and it's still it was one of the greatest memories of my life sure so you don't feel like you were um, treated unfairly and that Title IX was no. skirted at all? And honestly, I remember we, me and my friends still sort of joke about this a little bit. You know, we, so we played on this field hockey team and we were good. And at the same time, the boys soccer team was having kind of like, you know, down year where they weren't doing that well. And uh, there was one practice where their coach said to them, something to the effect of like why can't you be more like the field hockey team like they work so hard blah 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 and the boys they were like a little bit annoyed but we loved it because we were like i mean you guys could try to be as good as us but you might not, <laughs> you might not make it but <laughs> it was kind of cool to feel like you were the the marquee team in the school you know that was right. it was a thrilling ex experience for us so one of the articles that you wrote in the package you interviewed um, a lot of young female athletes and, and ask them a little bit about Title IX, which I think uh, from the responses, they felt little effect, negative effect in, in the opposite way. But what struck me about those interviews is you asked them just about the impact that athletics has had on their life and their development. And I think that's the why to Title IX is by giving women and, and, and girls the same opportunities to participate in athletics, you're really helping mm -hmm. them grow as people and the benefits of being part of, you know, team sports and, and athletics in general. And you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So that was, I, I, I always love the opportunity to really like give teenagers a chance to speak especially these days with everything they've gone through with the pandemic i think it's really important for us to listen to what they have to say and not dismiss their like lived experiences and their concerns it's like a big part of 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 everything and i wanted to know specifically what their experience is like now how it compared to the experience i had in the late 90s playing a sport and to how it compared to what you know, pioneers like Chris Holden and Debbie Jane were telling me. And really, it was interesting. Some of them knew what Title IX was and knew a decent amount about it. I know Olivia Rongo, who plays lacrosse at West Hampton and is going to be playing um, lacrosse at James Madison next year. I thought it was interesting. She said her travel lacrosse team, the name of it was Title IX. So I thought it was very oh, cool. Nice. But um, some of them really didn't know much about it at all. And and I figured that that- Which may, which may be, look, yeah, you want everybody to know history, but <clears throat> maybe that's a good thing too, that, that, that they don't have to know about that. It is, I think. Like, they cannot imagine a world in which someone would hand them one tunic and they'd be expected right. to wear that for every sport. 
they can't imagine a world where no one would want to come watch them play. Like, right. Or they'd have to get off the court to make room for the boys. Right. And so, or there wasn't a team for girls to play little league. Like what? Right. And so in that sense, that is good. Like it has done its job in that sense, you know, that they, they're like, what the heck? Like for them to think that something like that, it's unfathomable to them, which is good. Um, but it was also, yes, like very, and I was not surprised by any of the things that they were saying about what sports did for them, because everything they said is exactly what it did for me as well. And, you know, you take someone like Chris Holden, she was was going to play sports. She was just such a pure natural athlete. That's who she was. There was no way she was ever not going to um, do everything she could because to participate in sports, that's who she was so deeply. But not everyone that plays sports is like that. I certainly wasn't like that. And so when you provide opportunities, you might have someone who might just be like, well, I don't know, I guess I'll try this, which was my approach with playing field hockey. And then I really realized like, oh, I can be an athlete, but I didn't think of myself as one until it took a while to get there. And, you know, the fact that the opportunities are Mm. there is what allows someone to even discover that about themselves. You might not necessarily even know that about yourself. And if you're not the kind of person that has that in you, from the start, how would you ever know if no one gave you the chance? Actually, my daughter's coming to this late. She's actually visiting. She lives down in Charleston, um, South Carolina, where she's in school, and she plays rugby down there, which mm-hmm. is highly unlikely. And I was talking, we were talking about this last night with her, and she was kind of like lambasting me for not pushing her harder to go into high school sports. She played nothing in high school. She was so intimidated. Um, So it took her a little while, but now she's coming into her own as of all things, a rugby player, which is kind of an unusual choice. Um, Not the most gentlest of sports. Listen, I mean, but that's great though, because that's the thing. It's like the opportunities are there, you know, again, back to, if you build it, they will come. Like you just have to make it something that, you can see is, is possible. You know, that's what, that's what you want. And all the things the kids were saying about how good it is for their confidence, their mental health, especially over the last two years with the pandemic. I mean, like, listen, sports is not for everyone. Like not everyone is an athlete or wants to be an athlete. There's other ways that kids find fulfillment as well, whether it's playing an instrument, you know, all kinds of different things, but there is something unique about sports that really does um, so much for kids, whether it's, you know, building your confidence, learning how to work hard towards something. I mean, like those 6 a.m. preseason field hockey practices where we had to show up at Mashashimuyo Park like super early and it was disgustingly hot. We were all out of shape and it was like, we it was hateful going there every morning, awful. But like, by the end of the season, when you're playing in games and you have work, you're like, <clears throat> you have a bond with these people because you had to go like get up at 6 a.m. and like run sprints and feel like you were going to die with them. It does sort of solidify a friendship or at least a bond in a certain kind of way. It's like war. Yeah. <laughs> that bonds people. Like- 
Hi, I'm Joe Shaw, executive editor of the Express News Group. You might recognize my voice because, frankly, it's everywhere on the radio, television, podcasts, and at live events that we regularly hold. I wouldn't blame you for being a little sick of hearing my voice, but there's a reason for all that. In addition to keeping you informed by publishing the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, and the Sag Harbor Express, and the website 27east.com, we have another goal. We believe local issues are so important that they deserve to be discussed and debated, and we want to lead those conversations in every place that we can. In fact, it's a key part of our mission. It makes this a better community. You can help us. For just $5 a month for both print and digital, you can stay informed as you join the discussion, and you get the satisfaction of knowing that you are supporting the press and the express and 27 East and all that we do. Go to 27east.com backslash subscribe and talk to you again soon. Yeah, well, speaking of war, I mean, isn't it ironic on the 50th anniversary of Title IX, we're also lamenting the rollback of Roe v. Wade, literally 50 years. Yeah, it is crazy. Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's it kind of just goes to show you, you know, and again, like a lot of people have been saying this, there's a great article in Newsweek where um, Roxanne Gay, who's like a great, she's a columnist for the New York Times, like great feminist culture writer. She interviews Megan Rapino, who um, is, you know, on the U.S. women's soccer team, and she was kind of leading the charge for equal pay, which they achieved with their male counterparts um, not too long ago. But, you know, she was basically talking about how you, you, you can celebrate what's been achieved, but you, ha- you can never stop fighting because it's really, you know, it really doesn't end. And, and it backslides as we're seeing now a lot of the time too. So you might think like we've reached this place where of course these kids can't imagine any of this stuff happening. But I think the lesson of what's going on now with, with, um, reproductive rights is, oh, things can most certainly backslide. And if you take your eye off the ball, like, you know, no pun intended, things, you know, you could see there's definitely always people waiting to kind of take back what you've earned. Well, with that, I'm going to play what, also what Nancy Pelosi said today. Because of Donald Trump, Mitch McConnell, and the Republican Party, their supermajority in the Supreme Court, American women today have less freedom than their mothers. With Roe and their attempt to destroy it, radical Republicans are charging ahead with their crusade to criminalize health freedom. In the Congress, be aware of this, the Republicans are plotting a nationwide abortion ban. They cannot be allowed to have a majority in the Congress to do that. But that's their goal. And if you read, and again, we're all studying all this, but if you read what is in the very clear, one of the justices had his own statement. It's about contraception, in vitro fertilization, family planning. That is all what will spring from their decision that they made today. Such a contradiction. Yesterday, the the states cannot make laws governing the constitutional right to bear arms. And today, they're saying the exact reverse, that the states can overturn 
a constitutional right for 50 years, a constitutional right for women having the right to choose. The hypocrisy is raging, but the harm is endless. What this means to women is such an insult. It's a slap in the face to women about using their own judgment to make their own decisions about their reproductive freedom. And again, it's so striking listening to that because it's just, it's again, it's very bizarre to be in this place where we're celebrating this, this, this uh, legislation that brought about such was so great for women. And then this happening at the same time. And in that Newsweek article, they did a series of articles commemorating title nine and in this Q and a, you know, um, Roxanne Gay is asking Megan Rapino about, you know, the things that are, that are uh, left to be done in terms of trying to con continue to create this level playing field. And Megan Rapino said, you know, that it's so frustrating to see how Title IX's worked and the impact it's had in so many different ways and then not see other legislation that continues to build on it. And, and the, the question that she sort of asked at the end of speaking about that, which kind of struck me, and I think is kind of an apt sort of metaphor for what's happening right now, she said, how do we build on that and continue to grow so women's sports can stop having cement laid over the top of every garden we continue to grow? And that's sort of what, I mean, I want to celebrate Title IX, and we are, but in, in this news today sort of feels a little bit like, like they're coming in and laying cement over that garden that's been growing for 50 years, in a sense. And it's, it's, um, it's disheartening for sure. Yeah. Flowers don't grow through cement. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. Right. Sometimes they do though. Sometimes the, you see those weeds come up through the asphalt and you wonder how did they do that? And they do somehow. And you know what? The thing is, that's what sports does in a way playing sports. It gives you this kind of confidence. Like I speaking from my own personal experience, I don't consider myself to be like a quote unquote athlete. There were girls on my team that played tons of sports and they were the kind of kids that you knew no matter what they're playing, they're going to always be the best on the team. They just have that fight or that fire in them. I didn't think I had that in me and I discovered it by playing sports. And you kind of go back to that sometimes like, oh wait, I can be like tough and hard nosed and fight for things. And like, you know, lay my body on the line to stop a shot or something like that. You discover those things about yourself through playing sports. And then you can take that fighting spirit to other, to other areas of your life. So maybe, maybe that will be happening. Like there's this whole generation of women now who, who feel that and, and maybe they'll, you know, take that into the other kind of fights that they have to fight for, for women's equality. To keep fighting. That's right. And, and get on and vote. It's timely and it's tough. But it, you know what? I, I just try to think of those teams. Like, I think of uh, the, the biggest example in my mind lately is that West Hampton Beach girls lacrosse team. Like, and you think about how much joy they brought to the community and how tough those girls are. They won a game that was six overtimes. Now, as a parent of someone on that team, 
I would have said to my kid after that game, I love you, but don't ever do that to me again, <laughs> first of all, because of the stress. But like, think about that. Think about that experience that they went through six overtimes. Like that's, I mean, in a championship game, like I know it's just high school sports, but to them in that moment, that meant everything to them. And the fact that they went through that experience together and they prevailed, they'll never forget that. And it, the, the impact that it's going to have on them as people is incredible. And, and the support that people showed them, like that just has going to have a ripple effect throughout their whole life you know they're, they're never going to forget that and the community is never going to forget right, that right and, and and the younger kids coming up behind them absolutely are, are never going to forget that and they're going to look at look toward that and and they're going to you know and it's going to empower the younger kids to to want to be like um absolutely and that's the thing you know you see those girls young girls went to those games they watched them they said in that moment there's going to be girls in a couple of years who are going to say I, who are going to be on those teams and they're going to say, I remember, you know, if someone's going to say to them, maybe me, if I'm interviewing them, what was the moment you knew you wanted to be a college lacrosse player? And one of them will say, when I watched that team play in that game and I was only, you know, six, seven, eight years old. And that's the kind of chance that that kid should have because they're not going to get that experience watching the West Hampton football team on Friday night. They won't feel inspired because when they look out on the field, they'll, they won't see themselves. They'll see boys. But when they look at that lacrosse game, they see themselves becoming that person. And that's why. And that's, of course, you know, if it was 50 years ago, instead of playing those overtimes, they would have just had a break. For cookies, cookies yeah. with these well, of course. And it's funny when we were talking about that, because, you know, I know Chris Holden, she's very good, very close with Debbie Jane, who was my field hockey coach, who I interviewed as well. We went to States one year for Pearson and Southampton also went to States because they played in a different class than us. We rode the bus up there together. We were close with that team. And there was this, both of us used to play a lot of the similar teams in the regular seasons. We played Miller Place. They were like notoriously aggressive and physical, but they were very good. But we always would have these like really intense games with them. And when they were telling me that story about having a picnic afterwards, I said, I was like, guys, if someone had tried to tell us that we had to share cupcakes or cookies with Miller Place after a game, I would have rather eaten S-H-I-T than share <laughs> cookies with any of those girls. Like no way in hell would I have ever, we all would have looked at each other like, is this a joke? Are you kidding me? Like we, no, uh-uh, Mm-mm. no way, man. Good for you, you go girl. Yeah, like everyone should be able to feel that feeling. It's good. Twenty Seven Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. Thank you for listening. Join us again next week to hear what's news on the East End. Our interlude flute music is by Allison O'Reilly. Our opening and closing theme music is Boysdale Blues, written and performed by the incomparable Judy Carmichael. Listen to Judy's weekly show, Jazz Inspired, airing on an NPR station near you, or go to jazzinspired.com. 
27 Speaks is a weekly podcast produced by the Express News Group, which includes the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 27East.com, and SagHarborExpress.com. Find us on the websites or subscribe through Apple Podcasts.